Welcome to Minutes with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Stellatello. Join me for short conversations. I mean, dog walk short conversations about coaching, leadership, organizational transformation, and social impact. This episode is adapted from a conversation hosted by Keith Greer on the Helping Conversation podcast. Keith invited me and colleague Deb Shannon to explore the neurochemistry of trust. As three certified conversational intelligence coaches, we discuss how to have trusting, authentic, and highly effective conversations. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for once again making the time to sit in with me on this episode of The Helping Conversation. Uh, I want to start today's uh, episode with a quote. To get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of the culture, which depends on the quality of the relationships, which depends on the quality of the conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Uh, That is a quote from a woman by the name of Judith Glazier. Uh, And Judith, uh, in her day, was a world-renowned executive coach. Uh, She would call herself a cultural anthropologist, um, organizational anthropologist. And uh, she is the creator and the founder uh, of this uh, amazing modality and way of thinking about our work with others uh, called conversational intelligence. Uh, And so I just want to share a little bit about um, uh, Judith's work and and some of the ways that she has taught us to think about conversations. And and I'm stealing this from from her website, creatingwe.com. Conversations have the ability to trigger emotional reactions. Words carry baggage. They are rarely neutral. Words carry a history of years of use. Each time another experience overlays another meaning, and it all gets collected somewhere in our brain, quote, the vault. It's there, ready to be activated during a conversation. Conversations carry meaning that becomes more embedded in the listener than the speaker. This is a key piece we're going to talk about today. Words are not external, objective reality. They are projections of our own inner reality. Conversations are multidimensional, not linear. What we think, what we say, what we mean, what others hear, and how we feel about it afterward are key dimensions. Though conversations are not simply ask and tell levels of discourse, we often treat them as though they are. Conversations are the golden threads, albeit sometimes fragile ones, that keep us connected to others. Judith Glazier created the modality of conversational intelligence. She stated that intelligence is hardwired into every human being to enable us to navigate successfully with others. Through language and conversation, we learn to build trust, to bond, to grow, and build partnerships with each other to create and transform our societies. There is no more powerful skill hardwired into every human being than the wisdom of conversations. This system is so exquisitely designed that it lets us know where we stand with others. Based on a quick read of a situation, our brains know whether we should operate in a protective mode or be open to sharing discovery and influence. I am thrilled today to have as my guests two of the only 900 coaches worldwide that are certified in conversational intelligence who have trained uh, with Judith herself and bring this Uh, just amazing foundation of of thinking about how we interact with each other and how we essentially in in interacting with another human being immediately, quickly 
decide friend or foe um, based on a variety of uh, aspects of that interaction, much of which we're not even all that aware of at first. And so let me introduce my guest because we just have so much to jump into. And once again, I know that an hour will not be enough time because um, this is uh, this is and I know this sounds trite, but I will say it. Uh, this is a modality and a way of thinking that is changing the world. Uh, it is it is challenging people to really think uh, about how we connect and what we can do to connect, uh, even in moments when maybe we initially feel a sense of disconnection. So joining me today are Deb Shannon. Let me share a little bit about Deb. Uh, Deb is an IT corporate trainer turned consultant, coach, and speaker. For 25 years, she has led co-creative learning and professional development programs designed with HR executives, engineers, government officials, and tech leaders. Her work focuses on facilitating generative conversations that align personal and organizational values and build community subscribing to the neuroscience of conversations and systems thinking. Deb believes that co-creative conversations are the foundation of the inclusive and expansive world of mutual success. And when sewn into the culture of established and new work environments actually humanizes the workday. We need to dig into that. I love that statement. Uh, not afraid to apply radical candor to her work with her clients. Deb believes that each and every one of us has a powerful gift that must be brought into the world with intention, and that identifying this unique gift often results in individuals experiencing radical and unexpected change. And again, please join me in welcoming Deb Shannon. Deb, thanks for sitting in today. Thank you, Keith. It's and, great to be here. And joining Deb uh, is Mary Stellatello. In 2010, Mary founded her coaching and consulting firm, Vista Global Coaching and Consulting offering services in leadership development, strategy development, board governance, and training. Prior to consulting, Mary had a 20-year career in the philanthropic and nonprofit sectors, leading international organizations and human service organizations. Mary has worked with clients in pharmaceutical, high-tech, and retail industries, in addition to government agencies, nonprofit, and academia. Specific, specific areas of expertise include leadership development, executive transition, team development, and facilitation. Mary has co-authored the ebook Proactively Plan for the Inevitable, a Guide to Leadership Transition and Succession, and she is a contributor to the Leadership Challenge Activities book by James Kuzis and Barry Posner. Mary's style of coaching creates an engaging and welcoming environment while holding clients accountable to their goals. She starts with a discovery process to understand a client's strengths and to identify coaching goals to maximize, maximize results. Mary's success in working with leaders at all levels of organizations, from middle managers to C-level leaders, stems in part to her unique ability to support her clients in having courageous conversations with peers and direct reports, all of which leads to higher performance, both for the individual and for the team. Uh, again, join me in welcoming Mary Stellatello. Mary, thank you so much for being here. So great to be here, Keith, with you and Deb. What an amazing opportunity to talk about conversational intelligence. It is. I am so excited about this. Um, this is, as our listeners know, uh, I happen also to be one of those 900 who was blessed to do some training uh, with Judith. And actually, uh, Deb was in my cohort. And um, I, I use it every day in everything I do professionally and personally. So, um, so I want to ask you both a question. 
uh, that that uh, I think is really important, especially in light of all that is going on in the world. Uh, and that is why is now the best time to focus on having more productive, more honest, more authentic conversations? And I'll throw that open to either one of you. I'll bite. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. I find at home, in the community, and in the workplace, people are more ready than ever to start understanding one another on a more human level. And I think it started with so many families spending more time together mm. at home with each other and absolutely having to figure out how to be together that way over such a long period of time. And it's led to a lot of really positive discoveries for people that we can get along better. And I think that the aspect of conversational intelligence that is so timely right now is that we've become a very data-driven, science-driven um, society, and that is the evidence that we seek. And conversational intelligence has a body of science and data behind it that gives it a lot of heft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I was wondering, Mary, if maybe you could could share a little bit of that, because that is one of the things that absolutely jazzed me about this when I became uh, aware of this training is this is this foundation of, of the latest and greatest in the neuroscience world, that this isn't this isn't just a lot of I hate using this term. I just know other people use it about people like us. It's not a lot of fluff coaching, psychological fluff. It is some really hard science that that is um, is guiding how we do this work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. And, you know, it's interesting because it helps bring the relation, relational aspects of conversation to the data-driven and evidence-based aspects. And so really looking at, it's funny because I think, you know, when that first question, I thought, well, you know, how, why is this the time? And it was like, it was an, a moment of, uh, being on a call, a Martin Luther King Day celebration call of really exploring what what's what's necessary and what's possible right now with having conversations. And I met Deb on that call and because she was actually demonstrating and really offering up some of these principles around the neuroscience of coaching. And so it's really about understanding what is happening in our brains when we are preparing for a conversation, whether that's a challenging conversation or it's a really exciting conversation like we're having today right. and being able to feel and embody that experience connects the neuroscience of what's happening in your brain in that moment to actually what I'm actually experiencing in that moment. And I think that bridge of the in your body experience to the science really resonates with people to recognize, okay, yeah, this, this absolutely makes sense to me right. that when I'm afraid or when I'm scared, I can't have a positive conversation. And that's because the cortisol is pumping in my brain and I'm not sure I might like have to protect myself 
Or when I'm preparing for a great conversation like today, where I'm really excited about being with some with other amazing people, I'm in a different part of my brain and the oxytocin is pumping, which makes me excited and creative and innovative and thinking about the possibilities. And so it just brings that practical to what you actually experience in your body. Right, right. You know, what I love about that is I always think, and I use this sometimes as an example in, in some of my work, and I'll ask people to think about the last time you were in a conversation that really broke down, you know, that it did not go well, and, and you and the other party, party, you know, walked away angry or, or, or frustrated. Uh, and, and I always ask people, so if I came up to either one of you right in that moment, and I asked you, What's your explanation for why that conversation just broke down? We all know what each of you would tell me. You would tell me the other one's an asshole. And what I love about this science is it gives us just that science that we can go back and say, no, that's not the explanation, uh, that there's a much greater, deeper, more nuanced, um, more complex explanation as to why maybe that conversation didn't go so well. So, so I'm wondering, Deb, if you could talk a little bit about just this, the, the concept of building conversation on a foundation of trust. I know that is something that people probably, again, say very quickly, but don't really fully appreciate all that's involved in that. Oh, what a great question. Keith, you're just the best. <laughs> I've been talking about trust a lot lately because I feel like just that term is something that we in the coaching world use really frequently. And it's really difficult for people to get into the nitty gritty of what trust is. So you could ask a room full of 10 people to define trust and they would come up with definitions that range from it's a kind of account I can have at the bank to it's the fact that my five-year-old believes I'm going to give him breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. I trust. And trust in today's society actually involves so much and really requires clarity and definition for all of the different places where trust applies. And the role of trust as a foundation for conversations that work, conversations that hit the mark, the way Judith used to say, yeah. is that when you are in a room full of people who are aware that they have a high level of trust, they have actively opened up the prefrontal cortex. That's the newest part of the brain. It's also large. And it's the area that allows us to imagine the future. It's the area where nurturing of one another takes place. It's an area of creativity and partnership um, and curiosity. When trust is not available to us, the pathways, the neural pathways to the prefrontal frontal cortex are limited. So when we talk about a neurochemical conversation, and Mary talked about oxytocin and cortisol, how do we raise trust? We raise trust by raising levels of oxytocin. 
I can affirm to everybody who's listening to us today that working with Keith and Mary is one of the greatest gifts that I have ever experienced. And because they are so phenomenal, I can't wait to find out where this conversation is going to go. And I know that the three of us together are going to create something far greater than what any one of us could have done in a straight up presentation. All right, so I am imagining somebody is listening and they are saying, okay, that all sounds really good, but I don't have any control over my neurochemistry. So when Deb says we need to, to increase the production of oxytocin in our brain and that will help us feel a sense of, of connection with others. So I, I, I'm going to be curious with you, Mary, how do, how do you do that? Um, because we don't have a little switch on the side of our head that says, oh, okay, I'm going to increase oxytocin right at this moment. Yeah, no, it's it's a great great question, and it's one we get all the time when you know <laughs> I, when I'm working with groups. And so, how do you do that? And really, it's for me the foundation is creating the environment that fosters trust. So, how do you do that? Right in the in the days where we would come into a room as a facilitator, right? There's energy in the room. Okay, now we have to come into the Zoom room and figure out how do we create an environment of trust. But there is energy. Energy exists, and this is science. This isn't just the woo-woo energy, but <laughs> within 10 feet, the science has you know, identified that there is energy flow between people. And I mean, just think about it. You come into a restaurant, you're like, hey, this has got a really good vibe. Or you come into a library, it's really quiet. That gives you a different kind of experience. So how do you foster trust? You start with the environment. What is an environment that makes people feel safe, comfortable, engaged, and familiar? You know, music, Um having to check in. Hey, how are you coming into today? Getting everybody's voice in the room. This is something that Deb and I did, you know, every time we did our mini series podcast on CIQ, how are you coming into today? That helps people kind of slow down and figure out, well, how am I coming in today? What am I bringing into this conversation or not, or being really present? So what kind of environment fosters trust? How are people showing up and, you know, communicating that what's in the space. And then the other piece, if you're working with a group that is so important is really establishing group agreements. Some people call it rules of engagement. And I know that's how um, Judith called it, but how do we want to be accountable to each other to create this experience together? We're co-creating an experience when we're in a group with other folks. So having that dialogue and conversation discussion at the beginning of any type of gathering that you're with others to really level set our expectations to each other. Right, right. And I think you started to say something, Mary, too, with the check-in. Well, what am I bringing into the room? Yeah. And that role of trusting ourselves in the moment, you know, it does start right here with me. And from there, when I, um, when I present with trust in my own knowledge and integrity and authenticity, it's much easier to feel that reflected around the room. I have to trust myself and perhaps the situation too. And then as a facilitator, you build trust with everybody 
in the room from there. Right, right. I would also imagine there's a, there's a piece here in terms of working with a group or an organization that is also about the listening part. So, so you know, if, if can we agree in this room? Can we co-create uh, a a um, an atmosphere where there is a a um, a prime focus on I will listen. Uh, I, I was just having a conversation with a small group I was working with um, about what would it take for everyone to walk in and your only goal upon walking in was to walk out fully appreciating the perspective of the others in the room. Um, and how difficult that is for, <laughs> for most of us human beings um, to, to put whatever my thought, opinion, perspective is on hold for a few minutes and truly deeply listen. Have you, have you found that to be a challenge for the folks that, that you work with? You know, it's interesting, Keith, that um, I've used conversational intelligence quite a bit in my work in negotiating mergers among nonprofits. Mm. So, you know, everyone who comes to the table there is committed to doing what's best for the community, having the greatest amount of impact that they possibly can. But, you know, they're coming from different organizations, right? So there is some element of perhaps hesitation, caution, you know, lower levels of trust, perhaps in the beginning. And we always use, and this is a a brilliant um, tool um, that, you know, Judith introduced called the conversational dashboard. We're all very familiar with it, which really looks at, you know, starting at that primitive brain side where you you're in the protection of self and moving to different sort of phases of eventually going to co-creation, right? So wait, wait and see and skeptic. And then I love the space around experimenter, right? Experimenting, you know, being a mentor of experiments. And so helping folks think about, okay, what's it going to take to get for you to move to that place of being willing to be a mentor of experiments, to be willing to being open to influence. Um, Because we have a higher desired goal here, a collective goal, you know, in this environment of making this a better world for more people by considering this, you know, consolidation of organizations. So that way of framing of what's possible if I'm open to influence, Right. Another one of those conversational essentials. Yeah. Yeah. It's really inviting people into, to win-win. How do we, how do we all do something here collectively together and, and walk away with something that is significant for all of us? Yeah. And so, I think another piece of that is that from the listening side, when you have people coming from different organizations, every organization has its lingo and jargon yeah. and what they understand uh, when they hear certain terms. Right. And one of Judith's five essentials was double clicking on the meaning <laughs> of that. Can we go one level deeper on what the term trust means? to you? What does collaboration look like the way your organization has known it in the past? And that is a practice. You have to 
practice recognizing where your assumption is about a meaning so that you can get to that higher place of trust. Right, right. And that, that uh, and I think I mentioned it in the opening, that, is, that meaning resides in the listener. Right, that yeah. that's, that's such an important piece here. So as you said, if you and I were having a conversation about creating trust between the two of us, and we used your word, well, we need to be collaborative. That when I say that word, and it leaves my lips, there's meaning attached to it for me, but then it crosses the room and lands in your ears. And you attach all of your life experience to it, and the meaning can radically change. Thus, as you said, that, that concept of double clicking, can we check in with each other and make sure that we reach a place of shared meaning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So listen, I want to back up for a second, and we will we'll, we'll jump right back into some of the, the aspects of conversational intelligence and ask the question I always love asking all of my guests, um, because again, I am not a believer, uh, I, I am a believer that all of us in the helping world, it's not a coincidence we're here, uh, that, that um, we, we found our way here for a reason. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious with folks, and with, in this case with both of you, if we went back in time, um, when you were a child, a teenager, anything in that kind of that time of life, what were you involved in? What activities did you engage in? What ways of being did you carry around the world, even at that time in your life? That probably, as we look back on it, were indicators that you were going to make a career in helping others. I'll jump in first go, here. Go ahead. Um, so, I mean, this is really kind of picking up on one of the themes that, you know, Deb and I had in, um, in the podcast that we did together, which is when did I first have one, you know, a courageous conversation when I was nine or 10 years old and I wanted to play baseball in my hometown. And I was the only girl that wanted to play baseball in all boys baseball league. And, you know, this, the part of the story about the helping conversation, you know, first we sort of had a breakthrough to find a team that would actually take me on their team. And that coach, right, that coach, Mr. Scheidt, was transformative for me because he, he saw me as, as all of the other boys on the team with the potential to, to you know, learn to play the game, to have the experience of being on a team. And, you know, I played on that same team for four years so that the gift of, you know, gratitude to being included and feeling belonging um, was really foundational for me. And so really being able to see when anyone was being excluded right. or not being given a fair opportunity was something that I all of a sudden I had, you know, a, you know, sort of strong antenna and noticing and wanted to level set that for anyone I came in contact with. Right. So, you know, that I would say is one of my foundational moments of really thinking about how do I live a more inclusive life or create that opportunity for others. That's awesome. How about for you, Deb? So I, Mary and I have, have talked about our love of sports going way, way back in our lives. And my question, my, my first experience also ties back to an experience in sports because I started playing tennis when I was five years old. And I, I definitely didn't see it as helping anybody at the time. I had a coach 
who loved the game. He loved imparting this game on others, showing other people how to discover their passions and how to discover their strengths. And part of what we had to do, even as, as little kids, so instead of using a racket, we would just use our hands to hit the ball back and forth to each other. So that was cooperative play. How do you feed somebody a ball so they can give it back to you? Because it's not always about beating somebody. It's about meeting them where they are, right. literally. In order to get to a point in the development of your game where you can challenge each other and feel the friction and lift up one another's level of play. Very nice. Very nice. All right, so I'm I'm curious about something here with this because so far we're 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 having this conversation about ways of connecting, shared meaning, um, listening, win-win, um, co-creating. So, is conversational intelligence a modality that always results in there being peace in the room? Or is it a modality that allows people to bring true authenticity into the room, even if authenticity is, in a moment, conflict? Oh, I think there has to be room for conflict. Okay. Growth, happen growth happens on the edge. <laughs> yeah. And I, so peace is a value in uh, in certain environments and and that's part of the agreements in the very beginning are we looking for peace do are we right. expecting peace throughout this process or are we going into it with open minds open hearts recognizing there's going to be some bumping of heads because we have agreed to bring our authentic selves oh. to the occasion right um with our full trust and faith in the facilitator who's going to bring us full circle. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, this comes for me, what that brought up to, in my head was double click on conflict. What do you associate mm. with conflict? When I say conflict, where do you, does that go in your body? Right? How, what kind of relationship do you have with conflict? Because right. if you have a relationship with conflict, that's like, well, yeah, we have to have friction to get to the best thinking and the best result. You're going to come into that kind of engagement very differently than someone who's like, oh, my gosh, no, I have to hide. I can't I, I can't do that. Right. So right there in the, you know, in the moment saying, OK, well, let's talk about conflict or having differences. How does that help us or where do we see challenges? Where do we see that actually being a benefit? Right. In where we want to go. Right, 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 right. And so I think that's another example of, sorry, Keith, of, of just touching base with yourself. You have to know inside of yourself how you feel about conflict writ large, you know? Right. How do I typically respond? Does cortisol go up or down in a conflict situation? Right. So, so would, I, would I be correct in assuming based on the conversation so far, that there are aspects of utilizing um, some of the concepts in conversational intelligence that, that requires a certain level of self-awareness? 
Yes, absolutely. Know thyself first. Okay. If you can't, if you're not able to articulate how you're showing up or how you get triggered or what helps you, you know, get to a place of co-creation, then you are not going to be able to see that in others or, uh, or help, help facilitate or lift that up for others and notice it in others. Right. So absolutely seeing yourself first. And there's also that aspect of, you know, when you get pretty good at understanding the cortisol oxytocin balance, you get to be in charge of yourself. Mm. You can raise your own levels of oxytocin. You can recognize, oh, my jaw is clenched. Oh, my fists are clenched. My shoulders hurt. My gut is churning. And with a few tools, affirmations right. of trust in yourself, trust in the process, recognition that you've been in this place in the past and you've come through okay. And actually that's very funny that I just said that because I could feel my shoulders come down. <laughs> um, and it is that ability to be self-reflective and self-regulating. Right, right. right. It's and fundamental to getting other people to do it too. Right, and that self-regulating part, I think Deb is so important because uh, you know my experience in doing this work when you first walk in the room with people is, is is there is, I, I think, on the part of men, I, I don't know, I guess I'll say many, a, a tendency in these situations when the conversation starts to walk in with a bit of perspective that if other people do things differently in the room, things will be better. Um, instead of being really, really thoughtful about, hmm, so what does this say about me? What's my role in this? What's my responsibility around, you know, use the term self-regulation of, of that that people don't do things to me, that, that I experience thoughts, I experience feelings, perceptions that come from inside me, my own experience. And I have some control over regulating that uh, and not waiting for everybody else in the room to do something different. And you have some influence over the impact that has on the room. Yes. So that, you know, in thinking about the science part and, you know, we all, all have studied the mirror neuron aspect of neuroscience or neurochemistry of conversation that if I'm showing up feeling positive, I mean, it's kind of like when somebody smiles, right? You smile, other people smile, right? Well, if you come in with a negative or energetically, you know, more edged, feeling there's dead pouting you're gonna like whoa what's going on there is that neurological reflection that is happening so right. it isn't just i'm in my own little bubble i am actually contributing to what this space is experiencing collectively right and that responsibility as well right 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 which is which is i think w one of the really wonderful tools for for us who are in the role of coach um, is that if we understand that, we believe that uh, we we can we can use that to to ours and the, our benefit and the benefit of the room of understanding that we will share emotional states. You can pick up on in the here and now on kind of quote what's going on in the room and trust that if I'm feeling this, there's probably other people in the room that are as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there's an element that Mary raised um, that's so important, and that's this one of systems thinking. Yeah. Is that 
within the room, everybody who's in there is actually part of one whole. And to a certain degree, we are all a reflection of one another. And we are that aspect of the whole. So the finger pointing thing doesn't help at all because I can't cut my slice of pie, my role in this group out. You just can't. We are all in the moment interacting with each other, feeding our energy to other people and absorbing what they're offering us. Right. So it really behooves us to ask and be vigilant about what we're offering others right. in conversation through the words that we choose, through the pouty faces we make, or the happy faces we make. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're telling us is that we're not allowed to walk into conversations and assume the good stuff is all about us and the bad stuff is all about everybody else in the room, that that's just not going to work really well. Um, in the, in, if, if our goal here is to, to co-create and have something really positive come out of this. Um, I was wondering if, if, you know, within the, within the bounds of confidentiality, obviously, if, if each of you could maybe give us an idea of, uh, either a project you're working on or a group that you, you have, uh, that you're working with or have worked with, uh, where bringing these concepts into the room, uh, really, really proved to be fruitful for the, for the group or the organization. I think I took the last one, Deb. Go for it. Well, thank we're, you. We're playing tennis here. That's good. It right. works. Back to you. Yeah, you served it to me. I've got to return it now. <laughs> so um, there was a time when I was a state regulator, and part of my job was to go into the field and hold community um, conversations. Uh, with communities, we were really trying to get high-speed internet out to people. And one choice was through wireless. And there was a concept in the community that this was a radioactive cloud mm. that would rain down upon everybody. And there was a really high degree of fear from one sector of the audience and uh, there was another sector of the audience that was they were academics who really saw the future of online learning and how important it was to get high speed internet broadband however we could and it really took this practice of building trust with these groups finding common ground so that we could bring people together to standing under the same concept of value to mm. the community and how we are connected. Because at the end of the day, that whole conversation was about how people connect. And it was, I think in part because there were so many academics there, they wanted a data-driven right. science-based approach to the conversations. And uh, lots of other people in the room wanted to feel heard and listened to, and they really wanted to be sure that the terms they were defining were understood. And then facts, facts got worked out after relationships were worked through. Right, right. So before we go, go on to Mary, I wanted to ask you about a word you use, because I, I wonder where where this kind of comes into this larger conversation, you use the word values. So 
So is there a component of this in this work where it does get down to a conversation with those in the room around shared values and some level of agreement of what acting on those values would, would look like? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can see the hesitancy in the room going into that conversation because people don't want to be judged right. for their values. Right. So just exactly as you described it, Keith, is that um, we really want to define what those values are. And what's fascinating is that if you have 100 people in the room and you give them a sheet of paper and it has 50 different values on it, and you say to them, check off 10 values, your top 10 values, and people go through and they're like, wow, 10 values. And then once they've gotten it down to 10, you say, check off five values now. And they go through and, and they narrow it down. By the time you get to the last three values of those 100 people, it's something like 92% of the time, those values are family, love, and community. Mm. Connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, connection. <clears throat> How about on your side, Mary? Some some past recent experience where where sure. this work has just proved so meaningful. Well, I, you know, again, I go back to the facilitation of of mergers and nonprofit mergers because it is su it's such an ecosystem that's ripe with building trust and how necessary trust is for success. And you know, really starting with what you just talked about, um, Keith, and foundationally actually building that shared vision, you know, collectively of the folks that are around that table that are thinking about that possibility of what's the future look like for us if we were to combine, if we were to, you know, come together as a, as a consolidated organization and having some real clarity and resonance and um, just shared meaning and understanding of that as the at the foundation because as you start to go through the process of negotiating different sticking points who's going to be the leader of this combined organization that's a big one how do we decide who's going to be on the board that's another big one do we let go of programs or not when you start with building that shared vision you can always go back to that place of like why are we here okay right. Let's take a look. And I always will always have those those, you know, posted on the wall in the times of being more tactile now, you know, virtually. So let's point back. What, why are we here? What's our greater purpose so that when we come to a bump in the road where something happens and, you know, I get a phone call from one, you know, of the members of the negotiation committee saying, I heard this about those, you know, the other side and this and this and this. And I can say, OK, what else might be possible is going on here? Like we just went up the ladder of inference to, you know, this place of high level of mistrust, distrust. So let's kind of step down and say, what else might have happened here? What else are the possibilities of what could have happened. And let's remember why we're here together to help them self-regulate, right? Step back down on that trigger so that we could have a conversation when we would all come back together about whatever particular situation happened. And so that 
you know, then, uh, you know, all of the members of the committee really leaning into that. Okay, let's lean into this shared vision of where we're trying to go. Let's lean into trusting that we all have the intention for this to be successful and allowing them to really stand under each other's reality in that moment. Right, right. It's such damn exciting work. I just, I love listening to the two of you talk about this and I'm thinking about some, some projects I've been involved with and it is, um, it is, you know, I, 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 I like the two of you, I hear Judith's voice, um, you know, talking about that this, you know, and I know she, we all know she met this totally sincerely that, that this can change the world, that this is a way of thinking, um, and a modality that, that can change the world and as big and audacious as that sounds, uh, there's there's truth to it. When when we see what we see just in our little corners of the world, the the impact of of bringing uh, of bringing this modality to folks. One conversation at a time. One conversation right? at a time. One right. Conversation right. at a time. <laughs> and to go back to what you said in the beginning, Keith, that to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of the relationship, which depends on the quality of the culture. And it all depends on the quality of the conversation. Conversation. Right, right. So we have been talking about uh, how the two of you in your work as coaches and consultants uh, bring this this modality, this model, this this way of coming at our uh, at our work to the to the folks you work with. So I'm curious for the two of you, what do you walk away with from just doing this type of work? What are the benefits to the two of you? Oh my gosh, the ripple effect! It's all about the ripple. I get to be one tiny stone, working with organizations, whether it's higher ed or organizations with a social for-profit and social mission, so like the B Corp, knowing that there are individuals who've been exposed to conversational intelligence through the workplace and they take it back to the family. Mm. Because Judith used to give us examples of difficult parent-child relationships. Right for a hundred different reasons. And she would talk about her grandchildren and nieces and nephews and knowing that, um, so it's the workplace, it's the family and it's the community. I had um, at a presentation I gave um, right before the last election, I had a woman who's a senior citizen who's very active politically come up to me and say, please, you have to help me use better words so I don't upset people. Mm. And so I'm not as triggered in these community conversations because she was part of a get out the vote movement and she wanted to be better at what she was doing yeah. because she wanted to do good and it was hard. Yeah, yeah. How about for you, Mary? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I was, right on the edge of of Deb's words there with the ripple effect. And it's just that it comes full circle. Like I will have, you know, people come back to me and say, you know, Mary, when you and I had this experience, 
it had this transformational impact on me. And, you know, not even knowing that that one conversation or that, you know, one meeting that we were together um, had that level of stickiness for someone else. And so that, you know, the, the knowing that this type of work has that kind of long lasting transformational impact for individuals to take with it, take it and do what works for them and how they can live their lives with this type of um, approach to conversation and relationship building. Right. So I'm going to, I have a question for the two of you that are going to put the, maybe put you a little bit on the spot, but I ask this question all the time. So one of the things I adore about conversational intelligence uh, as a practice is, is it's inherently strength-based and it really, it really invites people to, to be their best uh, in the room and to, and, and to expect the best from others uh, and not in, not in a, a negative way, just we're going to bring the best into the room. And it's one of the things I uh, really enjoy about it uh, as, as a coach is always in my work trying to be very strength-based with, with the folks I work with. So a bias that drives this podcast is, is my belief that most folks out there, and I, I don't say this judgingly, I just think it's a reality. Most folks truly do not understand the high level of skill required to do the kind of work the two of you do. Uh, I think sometimes people look in and just assume we're a bunch of really nice, compassionate, thoughtful, empathic people, and that's all it takes to do this work. And, and we all know uh, there's a little bit more to it than that. So I would like to invite the two of you to brag about yourselves for a moment um, and share maybe just a few of what you believe are your personal or professional strengths that you bring to the world every day. Boy, that's a hot spot. Yes, it is. <laughs> we ask other people. We ask other people to do it, Deb. So I always like asking my my guests. All right, let's model being strength based. Tell me something just wonderful about you. I'll take it. All or right, do you go. want it, Mary? I could serve it to you, Mary. <laughs> oh. Okay, I thought we were maybe at a deuce right now, so I was pausing. (laughs) Well, here's the way I would respond to that is what kind of feedback I have gotten from the folks that I've coached. Beautiful. Right, and and that reflection, the mirror that I get from folks that I coach. And and I'll say a few things. One is um, the element of championing and challenging to be your best. Mm. So there's a level of, I believe so much in your potential that I'm not going to let you off the hook (laughs) and play small. Yeah. And so that level of confidence building enthusiasm for you to be your best is something that I hear that resonates through um, many of my coaching clients. And that people at the end of our call, every time, like, I feel so much better, but then I, before I came into this call, so there's a level of energy transfer there of Mm -hmm. engagement and positivity and positivity is one of my top five Clifton strengths. So Uh that aligns well with what folks um, uh, reflect back to me. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. All right, Deb. And it's true. Mary brings an energy to the conversation that makes it so much easier for everybody in the room to see 
the bright spot where we can shine our light and sort of gather our energy from there to sweep things out of the corner. So um, following that format, Mary, the feed forward that I get from uh, my clients divided into two groups. So d working with teams and organizations, they because very often they come in with an issue to solve and the group already feels kind of bogged down. They literally in their own presence feel the weight of the issue. Mm. And they say, Deb brings with her this body of energy and um, enthusiasm for what went right mm. and how we can emphasize that and grow the abundance of things done well and effectively that yielded success and satisfaction and remember who we are and who we were when we created that as a sign towards the, the positive future that we're going to create through this scenario. And then individual clients say, you know, you ask questions that I hadn't considered before, and that helps me put a frame around it in a very different way. They say all the time, oh, I haven't thought about that it like bad. that yeah. before. Um, and that skill is just about listening to who they really are. Yeah. 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 And I love what you said about, you know, just identifying what people do right, because, boy, there are systems we all grow up in that really focus on identifying what we're not doing right. That, that, that's the primary uh, lens. And so um, to, to change that around is a gift. I want to give I, I'm looking at the clock. It's already 53 minutes in. I knew there would not be enough time for us to, to, to complete this conversation today. But I wanted to give the two of you an opportunity to talk a little bit about this podcast series that you did. Um, what, what was that about? And, and where might people find it? Thanks, Keith, for giving us a chance on that. So the beginning of this little story is a classic conversational intelligence story. And I sort of mentioned it uh, at the beginning of uh, your our podcast today that um, <clears throat> Deb and I were on a call that was celebrating Martin Luther King Day um, with a group of folks. And we weren't exactly even sure how we both got to, to this call, but we did. And um, and Deb started lifting up conversational intelligence frameworks and perspectives. And so I had, I chatted her in the chat and I was like, Hey, are you a CIQ trained person? And she said, yes, I am. And I had already had in my sort of back pocket, uh, the desire to create a, a mini podcast series um, of a blog series that I had done after going through um, conversational intelligence um, training, because that's the way I sort of lack in my learning. And I was just going to do it myself because I didn't know anybody else who would want to come on. And so right in that moment, I said, hey, would you like to do this podcast mini series on six different, you know, topics related to conversational intelligence? And within 10 days, we were doing it. And, you know, we really just sort of broke it down into some of the smaller bite-sized pieces of the different concepts of the conversational essentials, really starting with yourself, mm -hmm. um, some of our favorite tips that we, you know, kind of closed out with and just to short conversations, 20 minute 
as I like to call dog walk conversations. Right. So quick and easy, you know, ways for people to engage. And it was a total blast to be able to do it with Deb. Cause I was just thinking I would do it myself. I'm like, well, that's not very exciting. How do you have a conversation <laughs> with yourself about this? So she presented in the moment. Awesome. I don't know, Deb, it, it, if you want to add anything, you probably tell people where they can find it or anything else you want to add. Oh, absolutely. Well, minutes with Mary was, is the name of the podcast and um, what I did with it. So working with Mary, I think one of the greatest things about that podcast is the rapport that we have with each other, our ability to laugh. Um, we show a graphic for people who want to watch the video. We're going to have those pieces come out. Um, just quoting some of the essentials that Mary taught us, and Keith, you mentioned one, was that listening resi understanding resides with the listener, right? right. Um, so it was great fun to do it. And what I did with Mary was like, well, this is your starting point, Deb, because you're just going to kick off a podcast. So I reworked some of the uh, elements of that into my podcast, which is called Elevating Conversations with Deb Shannon. And it's on Spotify and it's on Apple and iTunes, you know, all the places. It's really posted right there. And after the initial six episodes that we do, I am growing it to talk to world-changing leaders mm. within their organizations, within their families and their communities about conversations that they had that where somebody elevated how they understood themselves, how they saw themselves in the world so that right. they could bring their greater work forward. And it's been lots of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So Minutes with Mary is on all the podcast services as well as on the Vista Global website. You can find it there beautiful, too. Beautiful. And I will, as always, um, whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on, check the episode notes and all of the contact information uh, for both Deb and Mary will be there. So um, you'll have a way to get a hold of them and listen uh, to their wisdom through their podcasts. Deb Shannon and Mary Stellatello, thank you so much for sitting in. Uh, this was a fabulous conversation. It is the first one in my three and a half seasons where I had fellow CIQers on, and it uh, it just felt like home and um, was, uh, was a wonderful conversation. Thank you both so much uh, for taking the time to sit in with me today. So fabulous to be with you, Keith. Thank you, Deb, for connecting yes. us as well, and love to be in the CIQ circle together. Thanks for listening to Minutes with Mary. You can listen to all episodes of the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or on the Vista Global Coaching and Consulting website at www.vistaglobalcc.com, where you can also learn more about the programs and services Vista Global offers to create the world we want to live in. If you like what you heard today, let's connect on Twitter at Vista Global Mary. Thanks so much for joining me. It was awesome to have you along for this segment.